Hello and welcome to Rearview, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew, and on this episode, I am delighted to be joined by Justin Layton, who is a photographer and filmmaker. Welcome to Rearview, Justin. I'd like to start off by asking what type of photography it is that you specialise in. Um, I'm, I'm a sort of photographer who takes lots of pictures of cars and for the last decade. God, I can't believe it's that long. Um, yeah, so that's that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing, and I, I'm blessed enough to... Um, yeah, take pictures of cars at the moment and some motorbikes and some other bits and pieces, but majority of it's cars. And thank you very much for having me on. It's very, very kind of you, and I really appreciate. Um, yeah, you let, let have a chat. No, I appreciate you giving up the time to 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 chat to me and allow me to waffle at you. Mm. But I'm going to start off like I always do, which is asking, uh, when did you first get interested in cars? Uh, interesting cars. I think I've um, always, always really. I mean, I was. Um, I think it's my dad's fault, quite possibly, because he did collect me from being born in an E-type Jag and I was thrown on the rear shelf in a Moses basket. Um, and I seem to have spent the rest of my life being thrown onto rear parcel shelves or boots of vehicles. And uh, so I sort of started about two days old and sort of carried on ever since, really. Um, so, yeah, that's it. I've sort of dispensed the, the Moses basket. I don't need um, diapers anymore. But apart from that... It's probably, yeah, pretty much that's when it happened. Um, my dad was a massive petrol head. So, you know, I grew up with um, Mini Mokes and Jensen's and E types and TRs and um, that type of thing. So, yeah, I think, you know, blame the parents, really. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. In, in this instance, right? Yeah. That, that's, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I, I that's a, that's a hell of a start in the world, yeah. I have to say. I've not, you're the first guest to have said that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm just a spoiled brat. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was it. Not I, just, I just sort of, you know, I was itching to get my first car. I, you know, started driving sort of old stuff around, you know, fields and things and crashing things up and taking down sort of C90 um, Cub motorbikes and trashing them. And so with my cousins and, you know, just always sort of fast forwards have been around and just you know just general sort of you know a lot come from big family lots of boys so the girls had horses and all the boys had cars and you know, my cousin was a carter and we had you know off-road bikes mm -hmm. um just you know you know uh yeah we just had a sort of really crappy collection of quite wonderful cars now but they were just you know just always around and just always sort of as a family i think we've always always gone on you know we always drove we went on holiday together you know my aunt had a Citroen Palace and stayed for seatbelts so we used to have probably about 10 of us in the back of the Safari Palace you know Citroen duvets and pillows and all get flanked out four o'clock in the morning and wake up in Cornwall at sort of nine o'clock and you know it was always that journey thing and you know it was just it's always been you know you jump in the car when I had an adventure so yeah 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 you, no that, that, you got that's it that, that's that's the great thing um, particularly for for us back in the day, it's particularly, I remember the, it's still dark. Why are we leaving now mm. type journeys? And as you say, you wake up and you're there and then you're off and you're having fun. So the, the, the getting in the car was always to, to go off and do something, not just to get to a place. It was, to, it was helping you get somewhere to, to, as you said there, have, have an adventure. So yeah, it was, I, it was, that was, it was, you know, it was, it was the facilitator for some really lovely memories. But it's also, you know, it was the, you know, the my aunt had a real passion for Citroens, and it was, 
that palace was just, you know, it was just our world inside there. And, you know, we used to, and it was the days before iPads, so we used to have that sort of constructive boredom going down. So we used to wake up and draw and argue and fight and look out the window and, you know, that type of thing. So it was all, but it was also felt so safe inside there because it was just this little cocoon. And of course, it was mm. and it was just you know, supremely just like wafted along, really. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was just this sort of like, massive great big sort of airbed that used to take us down there so it was you know very fond memories very very fond memories always waking up at stonehenge and seeing the sun come up over that you know that's what mm. that's what it meant is you know usual <laughs> evocative sunset that you go on instagram these days but there you go yeah the ley lines woke you up and said you were you were here now oh yeah i'm very very in touch with my ley lines yeah i so have been told you know, i've got a face full of ley lines yeah. um <laughs> So, uh, what was the first car you drove? Because um, you said you did you you drove on fields and oh, stuff God. beforehand. Oh, we used to be terrible. How old were you? Um, so, well, I, I think the first time we drove is my cousin doing the pedals and me doing steering. I mean, we'd sort of that type of thing. It was mm -hmm. yeah, it was pretty because uh, we had the space to do it. So, um, I think it was, I think it was, might have been a variant, a VW variant, an orange one. We, we sort of drove around in that. My uncle bought it new. Um, but we used to always be sort of looning around. So it's either, I mean, some crappy old sort of escorts and bits and pieces. Or, I mean, one day we had, me and my cousin decided we were going to um, have a goal, go on my uncle's roller and um, crashed it into a water fountain. So that was, you know, was scraped all down the side. So it was always sort of, you know, they're always there. And it's just, you know, I come from a massive family. So it was always, you know, we just used to go off as long as we didn't set things on fire too often we used to get pretty much left to do what we wanted to do really so or get or get nicked by the police so that was fine yeah that was the, that was the, that was the bar how it was set yeah. Well, yeah as long as you don't involve us adults in this problem you're okay yes exactly yeah it's uh it's yeah but you know we used to sort of we used to sort of, our great thing on a saturday morning was bringing the horses into the house and making them lie down and then um but then they drew a line that bringing the motocross bikes into the house going to make too much noise. So that was, yeah, again, it was, it was, yeah, it was just pretty daft, really. A daft, a daft <laughs> uh, you know, and yeah, it was just always around. You know, cars have always been around and always been, you know, you know, sort of there. So when did you pass your test? Was it 17 and one day? Or... I know it was 17 and on the second second time because having been dr driving before that, my my road sense and driving skills um, weren't really fit for the driving test. So I got, uh, I got, I got told. They were honed in a different environment. Yeah, I got, yeah, I think I got told to that it was slow to slow down and to, uh, yeah, so I, I took it in St. Albans because that was the cl closest place in the quickest test. And the, I could tell as I, I remember to this day, I could tell as I walked, as I walked into the car, uh, got into the car that, the guy was going to fail me because I was just, I was such a cocky little shit that that's probably, probably did me the world. That probably, probably saved my life actually that six months of trying to take it again. So yeah, I'm, I'm a second time passer and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, and it was, and it was, uh, it, it was, I probably owe him a beer actually, if he's still around, because he probably did, probably did, um, yeah, make sure that I survived a bit longer. So, was, <laughs> so what was your first car that you drove on the road after that then? Um, my first car, look, I got, I got a car. I had a, actually, I had a car. Um, I bought it. I bought um, a Mark One Honda Accord, um, and it was absolutely delightful. It was black uh, interior and silver, um, and those Mark One Accords.
records were just you know beautifully made and just lovely lovely thing so that was my very very first car um but that only lasted six months because i wrote it off i decided that i was going to practice some handbrake turns and um, was skillful enough and actually went backwards through a wall and so destroyed oh. that car which is a real shame because it was an absolute beaut um yeah it was you know it was it wasn't sort of on the road as it were it was sort of on some ground so mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah i wrote that one off um but that was my first car. It was my first sort of journey. As soon as I got into it, I drove with some a mate all the way to Cornwall and just 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 basically left at seven o'clock in the evening and just drove all the way down there. I remember down the M4 and sunsetting, and it was just fantastic. It was just one of those I can actually do this now. I can as long as I've got forty quid for fuel, I can go anywhere. I can go literally go anywhere I want to go without permissions from anyone i can just go i can sleep in it you know you can just do anything in a car and it just was fantastic and i just it's one of those things that sort of burnt into my synapses that very first journey out of london down the m4 not being a passenger and actually having sort of control over my own destiny as it were that i actually could get somewhere and i i I think that that's an interesting point that i think a lot of discussion at the minute about the future of cars and mobility and all the rest of it doesn't seem to address is the fact because I, I i grew up in the countryside mm. so i wanted to drive as soon as possible because i like you just said that i wanted to to be able to go to places without having to beg for a lift or something like that i just wanted to be able to go mm. and uh current conversations about mobility, oh the the next generation aren't going to buy cars and all the rest of it but that may be to a certain extent for some in in very built up urban areas because it's so awkward to have a car but for the rest of us or the rest of the, the that generation they they want to go somewhere they want to they want to get places they want to leave home you know mm. they want freedom absolutely i've got i've got three kids i mean my my son is um he's he can't drive and he's sort of not but the other two my two daughters i mean that's you know, they've already got they've already got savings. They're already saving up now. Um, they're fourteen and fifteen for their first car. I mean, I've done a deal with them that I'll buy them the car, but they've got to pay for the insurance because it gives them some skin in the game, and hopefully they won't mm-hmm. drive like idiots. But I don't think they will. Um, I mean, they're always going to have a prank. You always do when you first drive, but um, yeah. you know, they they see it purely as that you know they'd be living in the countryside that they can actually go and do things. They can drive, or you know, they don't need. You know, it's one of those things that. <clears throat> There's those rituals we have in life, you know, that separation from your kids from um, from being, um, well, I was about to say parasites, but it's a bit harsh, but, you know, that's like... <laughs> I don't know, there's some days it feels like... Yeah, some days it's like a parasitical <laughs> relationship you have with your parents where you leave them for everything. And it's one of those things that you, you know, rites of passage about, you know, leaving. It's to be able to be independent. I mean, that's just, you know, say again, cars in cities. I mean, it's such a ball ache driving around any city now they're so anti-car which you can understand um but again it's you know it's like i think in a way this type of new sort of modes of transport may actually save the car like the car saved the horse you know the, mm. the horse was a working machine like the car has been and if you can take that out and have the car as um you know, it's, you know like, again you know there's, there's still enough horses around there'll always be cars and there'll always be petrol cars there'll always be old cars um, you just may not be able to do, you know, you might use them for doing more interesting things or just, you know, you know, have them, you know, people, you know, have them for the weekend. I mean, there's no, you know, it, 
it, there's, there's more of us around. There's going to have to be sort of different transport solutions. But I think, you know, it's a slight political thing about sort of mass mass transportation. I find it slightly utopian and I find it a bit sort of, you know, statist and I'm not very big on utopian visions or the state. So, you know, it's my own personal politics coming into it. But that's why I like the car as an individual thing. So, Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that is a big thing. That It is a big thing that it gives you freedom. And I've seen quite a few, um, not argument as in shouting at people, but that is the point of view put forward, um, particularly in America where there is such a big uh, conversation going on about autonomous vehicles at the minute. And people have said, well, yeah, but... Uh, and it's, you know, these things, if it's autonomous, you aren't you aren't in control and that, denies you a sense of freedom if not real freedom from actually going where you want to go when you want to go well the thing about autonomous cars i just i mean i say i'm just a, i'm just a bloody photographer i don't i'm not sort of you know boffing on scientists whatever but sort of i do sort of you know, i'm a bit of a reader so i do sort of read up what people are saying and i just think it's far more in the distance than people think. I mean, there may be a situation where you've got autonomous farm machinery and autonomous and the, that processor of harvesting and then the lorry, the wagon going to the processor, the uh, processing factory. I can see that becoming autonomous. Um, but personal transport, I mean, the data alone needed to process all those variables of a car coming down the road. You know, so, OK, so it'll be autonomous on the motorways. And then what happens when you come off the motorways? Yeah, you're going to have, you know, for God's sake, you know, I can't get a Internet connection where I live now. So, you know, I've got I'm still on a alloy wire that runs to the exchange, which is two miles away. So we have no Internet run, I think, for 4G. So if yeah. they can't let me stream iPlayer, how are they going to have this enough data that they can sort of have an autonomous car come into my home and back again i mean it's no it's not going to happen it, it, it is the problem is the the the, the message is being driven by uh, marketing and pr at the moment particularly by companies who are looking for massive amounts of investment mm. um and so they've obviously got a uh i'll be polite um be really positive in the message they are portraying. Yeah, no, <laughs> and and you know, but I agree with you that it it will be first of all using industrial situations, and that's where I think it will move on. And I can see that easily being done because that's a controlled environment. Mm. You don't have someone just randomly walking out in front of no, something I mean, without paying attention because it's in a you know. So we use the combine example. It's in a field. Mm. It has a set area, usually <laughs> marked by uh, hedges or fences. So, you know, you can map that out and easily deal with that. Well, you know, it's only got to worry about where am I on earth? That's all I need to worry about and when to turn around. And that's 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 simple. I mean, the state, you know, it's happening in the States already. I mean, there's mm. there's autonomous combines, there's autonomous um, tenders to go with them. I mean, it's you know, it's happening. I mean, it just is. Um and that, so that automation will come into that uh, that process, but I just say it's you know it's not going to be in my lifetime, but you know, no. um, but it's you know it will happen in certain ways. You know, autonomous vehicles coming around the city, fine. Um, but you know, again, there's so many discussions about who's insured. Is it the software people that takes the liability, or is it the car manufacturer, or is it the individual, or is it the infrastructure for the five G? Or you know, so again, that's a, a great field day as ever for. 
uh, our learned friends and the lawyers and the, um, who will sort of insure us who will sort this out. But again, it will probably live and die on on insure insurer liability, really. Yeah, so you know, again, with all these things, it will be down to the insurance industry who they figure out who's going to be liable. So, mm. um, but again, you know, some of the technology is great. I mean, sometimes I just wish that you know, if I have to drive into London on the M4, I could just drive on there and just press a button and just go to sleep and then wake up in Soho. You know. Yeah, absolutely. It makes so much sense for so many people for so many of their journeys. Mm. No one no one gets any enjoyment of sitting and doing the um the the running to work. No. No, that is not an enjoyable. That is I need to just be there make this as painless mm. as possible, please. Mm. And that's totally understandable, but um there are plenty of times when you just want to jump in the car, I just want to go for a drive or I want to go down this road because i enjoyed this road or this view or no. whatever it is but it'd be great to get to do that in the same vehicle i mean if you've got you know if you've got something mm. you know which is you enjoy driving but then we'll sort of slip into a mode which is just you know a functional carriage to take you to where you want to go almost like you know it's almost like a taxi service and that's great and i think that sort of you know that'll be the trick is actually getting into that one vehicle but also you know what really excites me more than anything called autonomous i think it's just you know fine great you know crack on but it's this idea of actually using the car um, to um, sort of like power your house. So if you've got this, you know, fuel cell technology that the car, that the investment you have in the car will be used all the time. So you can bring your car home and plug it back into the house and, and have it to supplement the power of your house. Your house doesn't need so much power when you're not there. But when you're back from work, that vehicle then becomes useful. And then, see, that's it becomes a, a really useful thing then. It becomes... Yeah. Uh, a power source it becomes more than um, more than just a vehicle um, I think that's you know that to me is really exciting I mean the idea of having fuel cells um, in urban areas where you can actually have instead of having car parks you can have car parks with housing above them because you don't get any fumes and each car comes in and you you know you individually plug your car back into your your, your apartment and charge it up I mean that yeah. that future needs really exciting you know it's really clever it's really exciting you still got that sort of idea of personal transport, but it's not doing any environmental damage, and also it's you know it's powering your house when you're not when you're there. Um, it's you know it's it becomes a real sort of part of your life, but also means that you can just jump into it and, and go and watch a, the sunrise or the sunset on some coastal area, and you can do that as well. So, but again, this sort of mass transportation and sort of you know these pods with lots of people and this great new world type stuff is just fills me with absolute horror. So there you go. <laughs> Because yes. <laughs> also I can't smoke on these things, and so that's you know that's the uh, my major major consideration for any form of transport is can I smoke or not? <laughs> that's why I'm going to go back to the horse. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, well, right, I've taken us off on a bit of a tangent there. Good. So uh, um, welcome to inside my brain. No, <laughs> no, no, it was great. I can't keep a thought um, for more than thirty seconds. <laughs> after you've sadly destroyed your accord. What did you move on to next, car-wise? Oh, God, a whole series of wonderful Golf GTIs. I got really into hot hatches. So I had an Asher GTEs. I had several Mark One GTIs. Some of them survived, some of them didn't. Uh, the Mark IIs, I, I had a Renault 5 Turbo, which blew up. Um, but it's my, my doing. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah, lots of, lots of hot... I'm a real hot hatch boy, so I was in that era of, you know... Just, just, and also they were quite cheap back then because they started hammering on the insurance. Um, but also I had bikes as well, so I had sort of, I was a bit of a two-stroke fan, so I had lots of two-strokes, and I sort of survived that. Um, yeah, so that was yeah, I had a, a Mars Road Mark One Golf GTI eight-valve 
um, which was just beautiful. I mean, it was really, really loved it to bits. Um, but then I hit some black ice at five in the morning going through Epping Forest and wrapped around a tree, but lucky on the passenger mm. side. Um, but it actually started when I drove it back to my grandmother's. It was unbelievable. It was just absolutely <laughs> banana shaped and it still works. <laughs> it shouldn't be going down the road. Um, so, so, yeah, so I had those for a bit. Uh, then I had a black one, which was great. That was a Mark II. That's the other, my other favorite, which had some beautiful BBS uh, three piece split rims on, um, which again are just, um, were just lovely. I love that car to bits. Absolutely adored it. Um, yeah, so yeah, sort of went through that, went through that phase, um, and then yeah, so I was just... so what? What was the phase next then? If Pardon? you've done the hot hatches, what's your next phase? If you've done the hot hatches and the um, the wrapping of trees, yeah, and things like that, what what sort of stuff did you move on to after that? Did you go completely the other I did, end of the spectrum and it was all Volvos? Yeah, no, I went to, I went to four by fours really. So I was you know, Land Rovers and. Uh, had a um, a, um, a Toto LC Land Cruiser early one of those in the nineties, which was great, which was quite slow but sort of quite safe in lots of ways. Um, so yeah, sort of collections of sort of sort of different off roaders, really sort of four by four things, and there's some few Saburis as well, like Outbacks and stuff like that, which I'm really fond of. Um, I never had a um, Impreza Turbo, which I always sort of they're expensive but i remember when you pick them up for like 500 quid and i was a mm. fancy one but never did um so yes the way to... so what what attracts you to a car then that you that you because you've you've gone from hot hatches and then you went to four by four so the other end of the spectrum why why i think why do that was it i think it's just to scratch an itch or no i just think I, it was because the way i drive i'm not a particularly good driver and um i like sort of you know, again, driving down the road, I, I like sort of, oh, I'll go over there. And I think that's what gave me the ability to sort of, you know, being a photographer and I sort of love landscapes, you know, it was it was the ability to just pile everything into the car and sleep in it and go off for a week um, and drive down the track or pull up onto a verge and to take a picture. So it was purely mm. practical, really, as well. Um, and it was just that ability to, to, it didn't matter if you, you know, clonked it a bit, it was a bit tougher. Because I used to go through wheels and curbing wheels and splitting rims and tires yeah. like bilio, and so it was just it became a financial sort of imperative as well that I was going to bankrupt myself repairing all these um, broken bits of cars really. So from and tank tanks are frowned upon on the road. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I mean, it was either now I'm a personnel carrier or um, or a, yeah or something a bit tougher really. But yeah, so that was. But also, you know, I had my first child in '99, so. Um, went through that period and sort of had to, I tried to do a bit of grumpy being grown up, um, failed miserably at it, but it just, it, yeah, I thought I'd be a bit more sensible. It is overrated to be fair. Oh, it, it is. Oh God almighty. It really is. I don't, I don't know how people do it. There's certain people that do it really successfully and sort of I look at and admire them from afar. Um, yes. but yeah, sort of, it was, it was that really. And I, I am also, cause I was traveling so much as well at that point. I didn't really sort of, you know, I, I didn't really sort of have, um, you know, the car back in back in London was, yeah, it was just, it just sort of sat there for a bit. So I was, yeah, I was on the road for a good number of years in the sort of uh, in the nineties as well. So I just used to live out a collection of hire cars, really. Yeah. Mm. So that was, yeah, my my I did actually drive every probably possible hire car there was in Europe and the world at that point. So it was quite sort of did get a, a good 
cross-section of what was going on there. I want to move on to your um, photography now, <laughs> if that's all right. Now, we had a brief chat beforehand about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this could go one of two ways. <laughs> But uh, we'll plough on and uh, <laughs> fingers crossed that that like my really. thought on how Plowing this will go. Plowing on regardless. That's it, yeah. We've had that discussion <laughs> yeah. now. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so fingers crossed that my thought on how this might go rather than yours will uh, will be the outcome. <laughs> but um, but I, I want to go back though. So when did you first get interested in photography and why was that? Well, I wanted to be a writer. That's what okay. I wanted to be, but I'm, I'm, well, in my day, they used to call it thick, but I think they call it dyslexia now. And I never mm-hmm. understood why they make the most god awful word to describe someone think that some people can't spell. So I think that's <laughs> sort of like, that's, that's the non, uh, the non dyslexic sort of, um, final stab at dyslexics to give them a word which is impossible to spell for them. Um, yeah. so yeah, that's just how evil the world is against my type. Um, yeah, no, I was, I just, I wanted to, I wanted to write and realized that it was a very long drawn out and painful experience not for me but for everyone involved um and so picked up a camera really and for some reason i picked it up and took some pictures and then people were willing to pay for it which even to this day i still find (laughs) brilliant Um, um and that was it really i just you know sort of you know again luck and to sort of do it and people... so are you self-taught or oh completely you... yeah I've, I've left school when i was 14 i mean i'm completely okay. self-taught i'm self-taught in most things yeah yeah education and and i were uh, very very sort of yeah we had a very um you agreed to separate hate on. hate relationship i think yes <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i don't i just again i'm you know found that i'm lucky i i set up a i've set up a magazine with some friends um back in the 80s and i decided that i was going to be picture editor um for a very grand title for for it and lucky i sort of... well it's your it's your bat and ball you can call I yourself know, exactly what you like that. well i wanted to call myself like sort of photo supremo but i couldn't spell it so i developed a photo editor oh you'd have been perfect today in uh today's uh um startup yes you can give yourself any crazy title yeah exactly yeah sort of a rock and roller photo rock and roller <laughs> so i said so i spent a lot of time trolling around picture libraries um, of and of an education and sort of going to Magnum and going to all these great and SEPA and Gamma and looking at just this most fantastic work of these absolutely super talented and wonderful photographers. So did you sit there and go, oh, I like that. I like that bit. Let's try it. I, I want to try and replicate elements of it is that is that how um so, so bits of it did you then did you see a picture and go can i can i do that can i do something like that well sort of bits of it well i mean some of it was you know you know again you um you, you know we all copy what you know we all stand on the shoulders of giants i think in lots of ways and you know my mm-hmm. photography definitely does because i've never had an original thought in my life um but you know it's um <laughs> it's yeah a bit of that i just it wasn't just it wasn't the the technical side of it, because I'm not a fantastic technical photographer, but it was, I think it's a sort of emotional thing, really, how it felt, you know, looking at, mm-hmm. um, look at some wonderful work from, you know, um, in a shot in America about, you know, being on the road 
Um, and I just think that sense of freedom. And I just still find photography just a wonderful thing. You know, it's just still, um, it's still it can, you know, done really well, you know, get a real, a real emotion over. And the, and the people, the photographers that do it, uh, they're really good at it, have a real passion for it. And are really are storytellers. You know, the best photographers mm. are storytellers. They're visual storytellers. And no matter if what you're doing, you know, you are telling a, a story. You're having trying to get an emotional response from the person looking at it. And the best photographers do that. You think, wow, that's great. Um, you know, I feel I want to be there. I want to be part of this. And it makes you feel good. And that's not a bad thing in this world. It's, you know, great photographers can sometimes make you think and make you feel bad that the world's a pretty crap place in lots of ways. But... You know, it's always a little glimmer of hope in the best photography. I think, even if it's really of an awful subject and humans being ghastly to each other, I think that some of the best photography does offer that glimmer of hope. There's a bit of humanity there as well. So that's outside the car stuff. I mean, but mm-hmm. that's the car stuff also. I mean, it's you know, it's it does should offer a story and a narrative and you know, a little glimmer that possibly we can actually be okay with each other. So yeah. So, so when you're you're going around and, and looking at uh, when you were younger and first starting out, mm. were there any particular photographers that that stood out for you that you went wow, or was it, or did you work on a photograph by photograph basis? No, no, no. I mean, there's you know, there's like the, you know French photographers, you know, like Duano and you know who were the, the street photography in France in the in the fifties and sixties and Winogrand and Eggleston and you know, name, you know, O. Winston Link's stuff with the trains, you know, which is just technically mind-blowing. Um, you know, it's great landscapes, and lots of Japanese photographers, lots of the industrial photography from the 1930s in Germany with the Braun factory and just, just technically brilliant, but beautiful, beautiful work. Um, there was you know, so much of it. You know, there's, there's, we've got this such a rich history of photography, you know, from all over. And just, you know, I remember going to a shop in Hamburg, this photography guy, this little gallery in the, probably 1990, and they just had a, a show on, of, again, of German industrial photography. And it was just, I mean, just beautiful. I mean, technically beautiful, but really just, you know, it wasn't cold. It was, I, I mm. really loved it. Um, but, you know, the reportage photographers that I'd, you know, some of them that I'd sort of loved from afar, and then I was lucky enough to be in this, the agency with some of them. And, you know, they've actually sort of become friends. So I was very, you know, very blessed that these people who were, you know, I, you know, looked up to became sort of mentoring really. And so I was, you know, and people like Brian Griffin, who I just think is probably the greatest photographer that ever lived. Um, and now I sort of buy his prints off him and have a cup of tea with him. And the guy I think is just, you know, a great photographer, you know, comes from the industrial heartland of Britain, comes a black country boy, grew up like, Led Zeppelin did with the sound of the, you know, the hammers bashing bits of metal. And I think that, you know, that same thing as, uh, as you know, John Bonner and John Bonner and Brian Griffin, they both went to, you know, school quite close to each other and they just grew up with that, you know, industrial heartland going through them. And, you know, they are mm. some of the greatest artists that we've produced and from some of the, you know, some of the times on the bleakest parts of the country. So, you know, it's wonderful about England and Britain as we do produce these people. Um, yeah. Uh, for some reason, you know, we, 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 it just sort of happens here. Um, how how long were you at uh, the agency then? Uh, 
<clears throat> or is it agencies? <laughs> oh no, I never. I've never been agency photographer. No, I, I was. Um, well, I was. Yeah, I was at network. So God, yeah, I'm talking about. I was at network from about 1990 to 2000. So the whole of the 90s. And how? Sorry, excuse my ignorance, but how does an agency work? Well, how does a photography agency? Well, work? this 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 was uh, quite unique because it was a cooperative. So all the photographers owned the agency, and it was set oh, up okay. by a group of photographers in the 80s who were. Uh, all reportage photographers and like Mike Abraham, Mike Goldwater, Barry Lewis, John Sturrock, um, Chris Davis. Um, they were, you know, great um, sort of socially concerned photographers who set this agency up. And a lot of us joined as, as youngsters a few years afterwards. And it was like the, you know, to the uninitiate, I mean, it's, it's basically if you look at the same as Magnum photographers, we were like the British equivalent of it. So we were a photographer owned and run agency. Uh, which again, a group of photographers running anything, it has its problems sometimes, but it was a great place and it produced some fantastic work, which is still, you know, still, you know, John Stark's work on the minus dispute, um, I think is again, one of the greatest set of pictures ever produced in this country on that time. And he was just a fantastic photographer and a, and a lovely, lovely guy, very generous at this time and very clever. And the thing about it, all the guys set it up were all sort of, you know, all sort of had physics degrees and, you know, they were all really, really clever guys that all went into <laughs> photography. And, uh, um, you know, I'm still, still in contact with them and they still fill me with, you know, absolute wonder. I just think they're just the most amazing bunch of people. But the agency uh, finally closed down in the early 2000s, I think, because of, you know, the internet and the changing business environment. And there was very little money to be had or to be made from doing those longer-term projects on big stories. You know, people still doing it. And they are, you know, they're great, you know, it's great that they are, but it's become really, really tough. And the commitment involved is really high and, and it doesn't really compatible with having family life or whatever. And it, so, yeah, that's what that's what happened there. But it was a great place. I and mean, if you do Google network photographers now, I think they're just trying to put together a online presence. I think their website mm-hmm. works. Mine doesn't of all the photographers that were members of the agency from the whole time, just to give it a bit of a presence because it's sort of fallen off the landscape because we were pretty yeah. internet as it were. Um, but we were, you know, if, if you're interested in photography and the history of photography in this country, not to do the cars, then it's a place to look really. Do you think photography lends itself particularly well for people to um, uh, get into it from a diverse background? I mean, you said there that, you know, these, there was physics physicists oh, completely. stuff like this because do you because I, I when i look at photographs and stuff i think it's it has to be one of the most personal mediums or um forms of art that there is that it is it's clearly something personal to the to whoever's taking the photograph i think all i think all i mean it's i see there's a difference in I don't consider myself an artist. I'm an artisan. I, you know, okay. I'm a, I'm a, I'm like a dry a guy that's like a stone carver or a dry stone. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm an artisan. I, I, it doesn't want to sound poncy, but I get commissions to do the work I do, and then I do my own personal projects as well. But you know, I'm not a fine artist. So you know, I, I work to a client's brief, and they hopefully employ me for my. They like my gargoyle I just made for, you know, Canterbury Cathedral or something. But that's what they want, and that's. Uh, I think. So, what what's what would you describe a fine artist? 
photographers. Sorry, again, excuse my... No, no, fine art photographer is, is some, I think, someone that's... Um, I think it's one of those names that get banded about these days. I mean, I was... I think there's... I mean, like, Gursky is a fine art photographer because, you know, his work sells for millions and he's in that world of the art world. And there are others, you know, Mapplethorpe's an art, artist, artist, you know, is an artist and photographer. Um, but I think, you know, majority of us are are artisans and it doesn't you know i think it's a, a long and honorable past being an artisan and i don't have any problem with it at all but um you know i think if you get commissioned to do work then um there's you know an artistic bent to the work but you know you're taking a commission and you've got to fulfill the brief and you've got to be professional and you have a patron or a client if you be a patron in the past it's a client now you know it's great all the great sort of classical works were were commissioned by patrons you know, you think yeah. you know all the work that you know that you know the, the great classical artists of the nineteenth, eighteenth uh, century. Um, they didn't just produce them because they they normally got commissioned to do them, or they were doing it because they wanted to make some money out of it. Um, and it doesn't detract from them being great works of art, but they were a lot of them were far more jobbing musicians than we, we sort of look back at them and think they were. I mean, they were commissioned by you know lords and kings and the church and whatever i just think it's the same as these days we get commissioned by corporations or by you know rich individuals or by mm. um and it's it has the artistic you know art the artisan art, art world hasn't changed that much we, we still we still get commissioned and we still you know get patron you know not in the um majority of sense but we still get you know patrons still patronized yep. you know for for what we do um but again, you know, you can go off completely on your own and become a fine artist and work in the art world. But again, you still need a patron. You know, you still need someone who's willing to buy your work. So I just think it's, I don't know, I always have a bit of a struggle with photography and art because <laughs> there is, um, it just reminds me of 15 Peter 20. Um, I don't know if you remember um, Nathan Barley. And there's a big scene in that with 15 Peter 20 as his art photographer. And it just... I know it's a bit of a caricature, but it just it just summons that image to my mind every time I hear the word art and photography. So that's just <laughs> me. So Google 15 Peter 20 and it just sort of sums up probably how I feel about it. You mentioned, you touched on it uh, before as well about uh, the internet. Mm. Um, do you think the internet and particularly with social media has per perhaps in one way dulled people's appreciation of photography and the skill that is required I just and the the effort that goes that, that will go into quite a lot of you know, particularly the artisans mm. um to to create a photograph to create a shot yeah i mean, I think it's i mean i got i was chatting to um a colleague and you know friend at goodwood and he was saying that he gets this request all the time for, hey, dude, can you send me your presets for, you know, for your the work you do? Because you have a look and a preset on Lightroom or something. And he just says it's the most ridiculous request because that works for him and his how he shoots his photos. But people think that if you've got a great Lightroom preset, then you take great pictures. And it's like, well, no, you've still got to be in that situation and and figure out what the light's going to be at that time and all those practical, you know, things that you have to do to actually get that shot. So, mm. you know, again, it's, you know, 
it's it sometimes I find it a bit sort of everyone wants a shortcut and there's no shortcut. Well, that's what that's the that's what we're all given mm. with the internet at the minute. We're all given this dream about everything that there is a golden bullet out there. There's a magic pill we can take. There's a, there's a, a just a just this one little hack and you'll be a superstar. Yeah. Thing and people don't because uh, they don't want to hear it. But they don't listen to. Well, actually, it takes a lot of hard no, work. No, no, I don't want to hear it. A lot of consistency. I'm, I'm a lot of turning up and doing it over and over again, yeah. making mistakes, realizing that you've made mistakes, and working out how not to make them again. Yeah, and it's that sort of stuff that people. Because I mean, we've got you know you see the, the TV. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to go off now. Well, go, go for it. A, a rant. I'm rolling the cigarette. Uh, the, so the, great. Give me time. The TV gives us that impression as well. Society gives us an impression because there's things like um, Britain's Got Talent and um, X Factor, and it's sold to the public that, oh, they just turned up for the audition. And, you know, seven weeks later, they're a mega star and, and this sort of stuff. Mm. And with social media as well, particularly um, with uh, the way influencers have been sold <laughs> to people to, to, to do that as a job. Not that I've... That, I get torn about the influencer stuff sometimes because uh, you shouldn't be described as something you hope will be the outcome of your what you're doing. I don't think. I think it's the wrong word. You know, you're a you're a photographer, you're a podcaster, you're a writer, you're a you know whatever it is, you're that. Not what you hope happens at the end of it. You hope people will enjoy your stuff and that influences them in some way. Um, you know, whether it moves them emotionally or they put their hand in the pocket and pay you or whatever it is. But, you, but to say that you're that before you get started, before you do anything, is um, well, I don't, perhaps the I wrong don't way quite of looking understand, at it. I understand the influence of the world. I mean, I've, I've met a few of them and I have to say some of them work bloody hard. Um, not all of them, but some of them are, you know, they really work hard and there's a lot you know again with this duck thing they paddle like hell under the surface and they mm. some real grafters and it, it's not their fault that it's now become this term and some of them rail against it and some of them just shrug it off and just just go with the flow um but in a way i'm quite pleased that some people think that all you have to do is get the right phone or get the right preset or get the right and they all become because it's just reality is it won't happen and you know, you can dream great, but if you're not willing to put the graft in, then it's not going to happen for you. So great. I mean, they, you know, they won't, they won't make it, which is, mm. it's always been so, you know, reality is it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, even though know, I've been into doing this for 33 years, you know, I still get freelance paranoia, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just <laughs> what happens. It's, it's part of the business. You know, you are, it's a precarious life and psychologically it's, difficult and this is you know if you're not mentally tough enough or or mentally have the you know the ability to to ride out the the, the lows and the highs as well then you won't make it you might make it for a bit and then you'll fall by the wayside but you know it's it's you know it's a tough it's a tough life it has great freedoms um and it has fantastic sort of you know variety but you know society has a way of sort of you know, of taking stuff away and giving you stuff. So you have your freedom, but also you have the precarious nature of what you do. And I think that, um, you know, 
programs like X Factor great, or you know the internet or the Instagram or the influencer, whatever. It's always always been there. You know the dandies in the sort of in historically, you know, you had the the dandies used to be like walk around London in society and they looked great and they went to all sorts of the best parties. It hasn't changed. You know, we haven't mm. evolved in that way. A lot of the influence are the modern dandies. And it's, you know, they're so, there's, you know, we, we can see what happened to them. We can see what happened to all these, you know, <clears throat> all these sort of groups and subcultures that sort of developed and then they fall by the wayside and then develop again. I mean, I just, I mean, I chat to my daughters who are, you know, they grew up inside the internet i grew up before it you know generation before, grew up with it but they grew up inside it they do not use facebook they do not use lots of social media platforms that the 35 year olds use they yeah. they're far more cynical and they have a go at me they say you're on your phone on social media more than they are and it's true they dip into it they look at it i said and these influence how do you feel about them they say yeah they're entertaining he said but they're just randoms on the internet they don't influence me you know, and so I think it's, I think we, you know, the older generations are far more interested in them than the generation they think they're talking to. Yeah. Because, you know, the senior execs are 40, 50, and they're, you know, they're not 14 and 15. And so you chat to a 14 and 15 year olds, they have a completely different perspective on things. And it's far more cynical and it's far more realistic than we think that they, how they think. You know, I, I give some uh, talks occasionally at photo, photo schools. And I chat to the students there about stuff, and it's really fascinating what they say, what they, how they work with social media, um, and it's far more um, nuanced and it's far more intelligent than I think we give them credit for, and it's definitely far more intelligent than the way I use it. So again, to me, it's just like. You know, it's, it's, it's sort of, I find iPhones still magical. I mean, I still point to aeroplanes. I mean, it's just the whole thing. It's just quite sort of, wow, look at this. It's, it's great. But they are. They are. I mean, I mean they've got have... a brick that flies in the sky for crying out loud. How did that happen? Well, you not... know, and, and we've got, you know, the world in the palm of our hand. You know, that's the other extreme. I mean, these things are magical and it is easy to forget that they are magical. Well, it's like, you know, you asked me to do a Skype call. I didn't know what to do. So I went on the Google and it showed me how to get onto Skype and to speak to you. I mean, I'm, you know, how does that work? So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, I just, the whole thing is, is wonderful. And it's, it's great in lots of ways and it's good to facilitate. But I think sometimes, you know, social media can be a, a burden. And sometimes, you know, we look at this. Um, you know, sometimes it's also uh, quite a nasty place. And you look recently what someone in the car industry said about a certain someone else. And I thought, you know, is this, you know, is this an insight into someone's mind, how they think about another individual? And I think, well, is this really progress? It just seems quite yeah. horrible in a way and quite nasty and unpleasant. And I just think, well, you know, it's just you feel quite sort of, shocked by that really but hey yeah no no that there are um there are bad elements um of it yeah. you know, and you it, it sort of when i see things like that that you just mentioned um it reminds me to take a step away. Oh, no just go off and do, do something else. Yeah, go, go for a walk, whatever. Yeah, go, you know, go. Just remember that there is the world out there. Oh, completely. I, yeah, I think you do get time and I get sort of caught up in it sometimes. And again, it just adds to the general malaise. But I just think, you know, on the positive side, I mean, what I found about the car industry for my you know, limited time in it is that most of the people actually are <laughs> just incredibly nice. 
you know, they really are, you know, just, I just think they really are really just a lovely bunch, really. I don't think I've met any particularly nasty or horrible people. They might be there and I might be just, you know, immune to it. But, you know, on a whole, as an industry, there's some, you know, for my little part of it, there's some very nice people there, which I'm mm. really quite thankful for. So, you know, it's, it's um, no one sort of, you know, there's not very many people being vile to each other apart from that one. So that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we can live with that one. It's always, yeah. Yeah, it's always the mad auntie shot shouting at the cars, so that's fine. So. <laughs> uh, go back to your photography. How do you think your work's changed over time? Um, forgetting technology, forget the technology, because. But I think it's just. I think it's um, part of lost. I think over time, be honest, I've sort of lost some stuff. I look back at old work, and I was far more, far less conservative, should we say. Um, which I'm again, that's sort of the importance of doing personal projects to try and get that spontaneity back. And I think it's really important for photographers to do that. Um, but I think what, what do you look for in a personal project? Do you just do you are there, is it a wide variety of things? Or do you no. know, I really want to go and do this? So I'm I've now got that opportunity. There's a window in my schedule. Well, for me, I'm my personal projects are going back to sort of probably you know, old, my old days of sort of photojournalism as it were or so called but it's something that you know current project the current project is is um sort of linked up with my time in 89 when i saw the borders come down in europe so mm. and again around brexit we won't have to won't get into that discussion but because there lies madness but i'm sort of doing a project <laughs> on yes. going back to the sort of the landscape of borders really and um again lots of people have been doing it recently it's something i've been working on for years and it's again i was there when the war came down i was there when eastern europe became free so um and my wife's family is latvian um so i've got you know i've got some very strong views about that um so it's just something that i think gives me a sort of you know my sort of voice to but it's also finding a way of shooting it and I did some shooting on film because move away from the digital process. Um, and again, it feeds back into my work as it were, my paid work is that you can sort of refresh you and make you think about things a bit differently and slow it all down and be less sort of hectic about stuff. Um, but yeah, sometimes I sort of, you know, look back and think it's far more, you know, far more naive and a bit freer, but then again, that comes with, you know, as you get older, you need to conserve your energy a bit more and you have to box a bit clever. So, you know, mm. I can't run, a, you know, I run around doing loads and loads and loads of things all the time, uh, which I used to do, scascan approach and then figure out what works. I actually know what works a bit better and I can go and concentrate on that and really hone that. So um, I think it's just... I would imagine it's also knowing what works for you. Yes, yeah. Not just what the clients want and everything. It's just what, what, what it has to work for you as well because you're out there doing it no hopefully the clients it's it's sorry it's gonna yeah i mean hopefully the clients are are employing you because they want you so Mm, you did a different look it's not saying that you but it's um and there's no use me coming back with a very sort of um um very sort of um oblique and very sort of um um overly sort of artistic nuanced look at something which is you know got bits of this and lots of landscapes and you know if i came back for from a car shoot for one of the press officers with loads of little cars in big landscapes, they're going to go, what the fuck is that? Which is, you know, because you're doing that to do a job. So, you know, part of it will be part of the set, but it's also, you know, you have to work through methodically, work through what they what they need. 
um, because you're doing a job for them. Um, again, so it's it's that's what I'm saying. I you know I'm not I'm not doing um, you know I'm just not shooting everything for me. But you know I I want to be happy with it because I want to produce a good body of work that you know people like. So um, so that you just you just mentioned there obviously the clients. Mm. How how will a commission normally work for you? How does it uh, occur? Does does is it a case of someone gets in touch and says? We have this car. Obviously, we want you to photograph it, but our ideas are this. Or do they say, um, "Here's here's the car. We need you to photograph it, please. Go do your magic." Yeah, some sometimes of that. I mean, I get several times. So you know, you get your regular clients who like what you do and can work with you. I mean, you get your first job off your folio and your second job off you, basically. And if they like mm -hmm. you, um, then you sort of carry on. You know. The, the relationship works and you know you can work with each other you trust each other um you know there's mutual you know it, it works so you can then have a long-term relationship with them you know some clients phone me up and say sorry you can't get richard pardon and can you do it you know um, <laughs> and that type of thing so you know oh mark riccioni is busy today but uh, you know you're you were third on the list so can you um, <laughs> I love both of them. They're great photographers, and uh, whatever word. Uh, but you know what I mean. Sometimes it, you know, there is they want a photographer, which is great, and they, you know, you, you know, hopefully you're, you know, in the same sort of postcode of talent. So you, um, they will, they will, you know, they will give you the give you the shoot. Um, so what's a dream commission for you? Um, one with an incredibly huge invoice at the end of it. I mean, well, obviously, there's lots of noughts on the final figure. But... No, I mean, I've, I've got, you know, I've, you know, I've got a job coming in at the moment and it's, you know, I've found a lovely location and it's somewhere I wanted to shoot for a while and I speak to the client and she says, I'll remember that, that location that we were talking about. Yeah, I think this car's going to fit that one. And I've spoke to the people that own the location and they're happy. So it's a lovely job. It's, you know, I wanted to shoot there. The car's right. It will hopefully work together really well. And, you know, another client says, you know, we want you to go up to Scotland for four days with this amazing bit of kit and, and go and shoot something and, you know, come back with some lovely, lovely work. And that's great. You know, that's that's just, you know, that's, that's such a spoilt position to be in for lots of, you know, lots of people. And I'm, I'm really aware of that. And also I'm really aware that and there's some absolutely great younger photographers, younger than me, which is difficult. But, you know, there's some great photographers out there who are, who are you know producing some lovely work and, and are great to deal with and you know look at their work and it sort of pushes you on you know it's just well you've got to keep keep going for it you know there's a, we, we, we've got we, this country is lousy with photography talent especially in the car world absolutely lousy with it we produce some of the best photographers in the world in the car world and in general but our, our standard of car photography in this country is world class it really is you know, I could name 10 photographers off the back of my hand who are produce beautiful work day in, day out. And, there's, you know, some of them are sort of 22 and some of them are, you know, 35. Or You know, again, we are we're blessed with such a load of talent in this country. You know, that's why they come from here and then go all over the world. So, mm. we're, you know, it's it's a competitive marketplace here because, you know, we are good at what we do. You know? And if they can't get them, then they phone me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, typically and i know this is probably a or this def is most definitely going to be a, a how long's a piece of string question mm. but typically how long does it take from the the, the client coming up with the with the idea stroke commission mm. to you 
finalizing your last bit of the work, whether that's hand, uh, emailing digital shots or having the prints given to them or whatever it is, mm. how long would that typically take there? Because you just mentioned then that you found a location and have talked to people. And then in the next breath, it was, all oh, right, we want you to go up here. So it, I, I'm presuming it is as long as a piece of string. Uh, no, I mean, it's, you've got, to, you know, you've got to hit deadlines. So there's, there's probably, you know, they've got, there's, you know, it's, you're doing a job. So, but lucky I've mm. got a good group of people around me. So, you know, I've got a great retoucher who does all my retouching and who's just brilliant and very calm and lovely to deal with. And we've been working together now for a few years. <clears throat> I've got a really good assistant, really good lighting assistant and good drivers and lucky I've got a nice team around me that, um, make it all it's not just me doing it I mean producing a car shoot for PR whatever is a big team effort you know you need drivers you need you know it's you know logistics and you know how to get there and what you're doing I mean it's your shoot and you've got to run it as such so you've got to really you know you've got to be professional about it and you've got to you know make it happen and so you know if I'm, I'm lucky I can go from one shoot and leave um, the edit and my feels so I give a some Photoshop, so I sort of do an overall feel. Basically, there's like sort of like coloring in with like crayons really onto the picture, and then I give it to uh, my retoucher, who then sort of looks and laughs and says, "Yeah, I sort of get what you mean." And I sort of cut bits out, and you know, basically, it's, yeah, it's think of sort of play school. I copy that piece of paper, stick them on, and then send it to him. Um, and he sort of interprets that and comes out with something. Um, and I've, again, you know, my assistant I work with in his fifties and been around and calm and knows what he's doing and you know can like in anything he's just so great you can you know just stick him in somewhere and he'll come up with something sometimes i look at what he does and in a studio especially and i just still can't quite understand exactly what he does but he seems to i can say that's how i want it lit and he will just go bang 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 and get it yeah. and occasionally he comes you know i'm sitting behind the camera and he's turning lights on off on off and moving and all of a sudden it just all fits together there's like 17 lights or something and it just all then all of a sudden they turn the other two off and move it and then flood it a bit more then all of a sudden it goes bang and it's almost like a picture coming into focus it's amazing right. it's amazing to watch so yeah for people not in the industry what is the hardest part or what's a hard part of your job that we wouldn't appreciate um <laughs> sore feet sore eyes i don't know. <laughs> um I think it's it may be the the downtime sometimes. You know, if you get a, like a series of jobs cancelled in a, in a row, which I just had. You know, it's, it's I think it's it, again Instagram gives this view that you're bouncing around and it's all glorious and it's fantastic and whatever. Well, it's parties the whole time for you. Yeah, people throwing yeah. rose petals in front of you. It's obvious. I think it's the hours sometimes, and you know, it's you know you're driving back in the or you get to location and it's the brain you've got to move halfway across the country because to get some chase and some weather and um i don't know i don't want to sound like whingy but it's uh, you know it's because it's a it's, it's, well, a no, it's the job, realities of it is the more the point it's the reality yeah i mean it's you know sometimes it's 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 you know it can be long hours and it can be frustrating and if it's not working particularly well you've got to you know sort of reset and look at it again and uh, come up with some you know another idea for it but again tell the truth i think it's you know the business business side of it can get you down a bit sometimes um mm -hmm. but um and sometimes you, you know uh, you 
you're not dropping film off any longer, so you're not meeting up with other photographers. Um, so sometimes it, you know, it's, it can be a bit lonely, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's where the alcohol, alcohol comes in and you're absolutely fine <laughs> after that then. So I think it's, no, I'm, and the, and Twitter, yeah, and Twitter <laughs> and then just general sort of, yeah. And, um, uh, but yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a usual, I mean, it's usual creative processes sometimes can get you down a bit and, you know, sometimes you just, you just, you know, it's. I don't know. It's just general sort of everyone, every job has it, you know, dentists looking in someone's mouth every day for 30 years is starting to get bored of looking in someone's mouth. You know, it's, it's the business side of it can get you down a bit or otherwise, do you know what? I can't compare to most jobs. I think it's just still amazing. And it sounds, I sound like a complete idiot and I don't, care because i still <laughs> totally love it and i think it's the best job in the world and some of the best people in the world and some of those, and i just totally adore it i mean it just still you know i still get a job commission in and i get excited and it still makes my palm sweat and my hair stand on end sometimes doing this job and i and i've been doing it for years and years and years and maybe i'm slightly retarded i don't know but i i still love it to bits and willing to put up with the minor downsides of it you know the insecurity and the you know and the you know slights and other bits and pieces that go on because that's being human and that's what we all suffer from anyway so my upside is do a job absolutely adore and love and i'm blessed to do that so well you'd you'd have to i'd hope to to do it for the amount of time you've done it Mm. uh and to go you know because one of what I was expecting you to say is sometimes, the, well, a lot of the time the locations aren't as glamorous as they appear on the end result. <laughs> what you don't see is, 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 as you hinted at the, the rain and the misery, you know, getting to the point where you can take the shot is perhaps what people will... No, that's just planning. Omit. That's just planning. No, you've just got to plan it and have a good retoucher. I mean, it's just you've got to plan and shoot in the locations <laughs> that you feel like you want to be shooting. Don't take car to somewhere you hate. Don't do it, you know. Don't do yourself a favour. Do some research. Use use the internet. Go on to the Google, and look at places. And only take cars to somewhere that's going to inspire you. If you're taking cars to locations that don't inspire you and not working for you, then do something else. You know, you know. Think about it and plan it. And you know, do do your do your research. You know, do your research. Find places. Talk to people. Go on architecture websites. Go on landscape websites you know look at what the buildings are out there look at what's around and talk to people and don't just look at car photography look at other photographers as well go to in gallery and look at some landscapes you know these guys are really good at what they do you know go and mm. go to national gallery go to the you know just just look around you and if you're sort of you know if you'll take you know if you're not happy with stuff then you know think about it and take it back there you can always get a picture out of the situation you can always do it you can. It may not be the greatest picture, but then again, you're not going to take the best picture you've ever taken every single time. Be like the Buddhists. Be like 80%, 90% okay with Because mm. otherwise, their life's madness. You would drive you beat yourself up all the time. And and also, you know, it's a job. You don't take, you know, don't take it home with you all the time. I mean, it's a lot, you beat yourself a lot with yourself into it, but for your own mental health, really... You know, be okay with eighty percent on certain shoots. That's okay. You know, we can, you know, we can get better next time. But if you keep striving and you keep beating yourself up, then you're not going to last very long. You're just going to wear yourself out. 
last couple of questions. Sorry, was that all too heavy? So I like. No, 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 no. They're very wise words. Very wise words. And you know, it. it well, by the way, I just people... I just run out of tobacco, so I'm I'm I might have to phone my um, I might have to get my my Labradors to fetch it. Because um, <laughs> I'm in a special pouch uh, hanging off the collar. Yeah, no, it's, it's just like the brandy barrel on a on a St Bernard's. Yes. It's just full of full of tobacco. So. I mean... <laughs> Um, There's a special whistle and they come running. Yes, they do. Yeah, so I'm trying to get them to roll, but their paws are crap. So that's fine. <laughs> Sorry, crap. So gonna... Lack of opposable digits. Yes, exactly. Awful, isn't it? They haven't evolved. They haven't evolved. Um... <laughs> but uh, last last couple of questions on the photography before I get into the quickfire questions. Um... <laughs> My mind doesn't work like quickfire. <laughs> well, that's okay. what I call them. They're not quickfire, okay, but because can... because invariably I can't shut up. Yeah. But <laughs> what? Um... When you look around and you look at um, aspiring photographers or amateur people, amateur photographers, you know, people on Instagram and stuff like that, yeah. what are the, what sort of mist- common mistakes do you see are being made? Um, common mistakes. I I don't know. Sometimes repeating the same picture again and again and again. I think that sort of sometimes you look at it and think it's you can't it's 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 the process takes over the image and so you you can't remember what the car was you just remember that it had this weird filter on it and so I just think sometimes don't look at the what response you're not telling a story you're just showing a a pre a series of presets so. Again, it's sort of taking the narrative out of it and it turns it into a, just into a technical exercise. And if that technical exercise isn't particularly good, then you can't, you know, sometimes... I don't know. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of... Um, well, put it this way. Most, most directors that I know, as in car directors I work with, are not on Instagram because they don't have the time. Um, yeah. And a lot of great photographers I know are not on Instagram or if they do have 200 followers. Because I just think you've got to keep away from, you know, some people it's a part of their part of their setup, part of their, their, their thing, and people apply for it all well and good, great. Um, and there's some really good, you know, some really good people doing it. But for some of the some starting out, I think they try and copy what someone else has done, uh, in, and, and it's not as good. So stop doing that and find your own voice and do your own thing. Because that sort of stand out, you know. No, no one wants a pastiche of another photographer. They want, mm-hmm. they want that that person's voice and bringing something to the party. I mean, if you want to make, is it not a fine balance though between um, getting inspiration and liking the way in which someone takes a shot or tries to compose a photograph to? mimicking and no, as you say pastiching no i don't think i don't think i know i mean can i i love work a lot of photographers but i don't want to be them because they're really good at being them you know i don't i want to be me okay and i think photographers should be them you know i can appreciate and like their work and press like on the instagram and leave a lovely comment saying a great shot doesn't mean i want to be them and it doesn't mean i want my photography to be like theirs I just think you know they're, they're great at doing what they do. If you want to do that, fine. If, but if that's all you're doing, then that's that, if that's work for you. Then who am I to say? But 
you don't think there's much sort of legs in it really because you just become I say the pastiche of that, that person so you know if you want to go through that process but I, I would do it offline I'd do it in my own I'd do it in, you know I would do it in my own sort of space as it were and then, yeah. then work through I mean you know Brian Griffin um, again some come back to him he spent um, I don't know if it's a popular story, but it's, it's one that when he was a student at Manchester Pol- uh, Art School, uh, with um, he spent he spent one holidays sort of recreating ads, you know, so building the models and recreating the ads, and that's what he did because he wanted to, you know, it's a really good sort of thing to do to actually completely recreate. And I think it was a still life for a silk cut ad or something, mm-hmm. and he couldn't quite get the perspective right, and so he found tracked down the creative director. And said, "I can't. You know what's happening here. And what they've done is the, the model of the cigarette packet was three times the size or something. So they uh. so but so he sort of found, and that's an in, that's an interesting technical exercise that you can actually do that. You, you know that you put yourself through that. And there's not, nothing wrong having in, you know, technical exercises and looking at how other people are doing stuff and finding out the processes. But at the end of the day, that has to be moving towards finding your own sort of way of seeing and your own voice and adding something to the, the narrative." If you're not doing that. So, so there's a difference between uh, working out and practicing how somebody has achieved something yeah. to just trying to do that and make that your thing. Yeah, because why, why, why would you want to do that? Someone else is doing yeah, yeah, better no. than you anyway. Yep. So, no, no, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Yeah, so I just say, you know, find your own way of seeing Of course, you know, it's, you know, there's, there's like, there's still, there's like something like seven stories in the world and we've already told them all. So again, we keep repeating ourselves, and you know, we keep, you know, it's, it's, and so again, it's just finding that little way through it. And you know, so again, I went to see this one of these students down at Falmouth, and she sort of was in, um, went to Iceland, and just did some snaps of her hire car, and they were really great. I mean, really, really good. And mm. she wasn't one thing would be able to play story with a photographer. She's, but they were for some reason they were just really lovely pictures. You know, and I thought, well, that's occasionally, you know, if you're not trying to sort of trying too hard, sometimes you, you know, to let it, if you, when you're younger, you should have that space to experiment, then you, some great stuff can come out of it. And if you then want it, it's actually recognizing sometimes when you're younger, what is good. And that's, that's difficult. And that's why sometimes, you know, if you're lucky enough to have a, a mentor or you're lucky enough to have an agency or an agent or something that can help you, because sometimes you don't see it. I mean, looking back, I've, didn't see certain things that I should have pursued and made, you know, um, made sort of and slightly honed and, and made more complete. And I didn't do it because I didn't see that actually it was any good. So, yeah, sometimes you miss stuff because you're young and you're buzzing around doing other things. So is it a mix of science and uh, I'm using art in the loosest sense here? So I don't, you know. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's pure. It, is it a mix of the two? No, no, you, no. You need some technical side as well as you need the emotion. No, it's pure alchemy. That's all it is. It's, it's, okay. it's magic. And I don't understand. You put light in the box and it comes out. I know it. I think it's I think there's wizardry involved and possibly witchcraft. <laughs> And I think I think some sacrifice of something or other. Well, I hope it wasn't sort of you know. Yeah, I think it's it's pure black magic. I don't understand it at all. Or white magic. I don't know. Wizardry. <laughs> no, of course it's just like you know alchemy, science, and art. And it's again, it's all these mathematics and you know loads and loads of different things all come together. That's what makes photography so wonderful and so and so flexible 
because uh, you can pick up a camera and be Gursky, or you can pick up a camera and be, you know, a, a happy snapper who likes to photograph squirrels in his back garden. You're still a photographer. Yeah. You're still taking pictures. It depends how the world sees what you're doing. So, again, everyone that picks up a camera is a photographer. Some people are, are, don't make their living from it. Some people do. Some people make some of their living from it. Some people don't want to make their living from it. Some people just, you know, use it for other things. But it's, you know, you, we're all in that great broad church of being photographers and being photography and appreciating it. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's an exciting time in that way, really. There's never been so much photography. Right. Last question about the photography. Cause, is there anyone um, still listening? Or is everyone... <laughs> no, they, they are. They are. Don't you worry. Because no. I'm, I'm conscious that I'm taking up a lot of your time. No, no, no. no. I, just, but, I think uh, one actually sort of, I think, yeah, I think, it's just, I think it's just me and you now. So that's why. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone else is don't gone. Silly. Everyone else is gone. I see some uh, taxis outside. I think everyone else has left. It's right. just me and you at in this the corner point now. is the time at which to tweet Justin. And just no, say, no, I'm, I'm, I am Spartacus. Uh, hashtag I am Spartacus. <laughs> and so you're still listening. <laughs> now, you should definitely got but, a, a VBH on today instead of me. She sounds like she's up for it. She's far more interested than me. No, no don't. Stop it. Stop it no, now. She is, okay? she you you have to stop she's being lovely. so British about these things. Okay? This, is, this is the one environment that you're allowed to not be quite so uh, self-deprecating. Okay? <laughs> but after this, no, no, you, you can't be remotely cocky or... Uh, too uh, positive about yourself in any way because, like I said, we're British, so this is not allowed. No, of course um, not. Just... Okay, right then. Rule final, final bit of um, I don't know, wallowing in your own uh, wondrousness. Mm. Uh, what is your favourite photograph that you've taken, and why? Um, what in car in the car stuff? Just any any of your photographs. Well, what is your favourite photograph you've ever taken? Well, I think there's two. There's sort of po there's pre car and post car, and I think the okay. Pre-car is the punk at the Berlin Wall. I think it's one of the. I think there's one picture I'm really proud of. It has legs and the last. And then the uh, post uh, in my car. I think it's the trike on Bonneville Salt Flats um, in the just before dawn. I think those two pictures to me are have some legs, and after I die, may people might still look at them and get something from them. So, yeah, if I've taken those two pictures now, I can die a happy man, which I have done. So there you go. Okay. I'm quite content. Well, well, hopefully that's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> now we know. Yeah, now, now you know. So, yes, those two there. But, yeah, I think that's off the top of my head. Also, um, because the Lone Rider is used by my friends at the Calm Photography Movement, which I like to mention, which deals with especially male suicide and male mental health. Um, set up my friend Scott Schillen who I'm going to check it out because he's got some great photography and great photographers involved and I gave them that image to use as their sort of part of their, their thing and I just think it's really supported by the photography community and it's set up in because my uh, Scott's twin brother Darren is another friend of mine um, tragically killed himself a few years ago and so it was set up around that so I'm pleased that that picture is doing some helping to do a bit of good so that's why I find it important Okay, well, we'll have links in the show notes to that. Thank you. Um, so so much people can check that out. Yeah. Um, right, moving on to the allegedly quickfire questions. Okay. So this is, we're now drawing to a close. You, you get some freedom in a minute. Um, but what uh, currently excites you about the motoring world? Um, currently excites me about the motoring world, I think, um, <laughs> just all of it really. I don't. Anything. I think. I think there's still people still making like wonderful 
bonkers cars like a Mercedes and McLaren and Porsche and still making these insane bits of kit. I, th- I still love it that we can do, still do that and still hear a V8 rev and a you know flat six rev and a you know so yeah that still excites me. The uh, you know that's that's the head and heart thing. So from my heart, I'm still pleased that those big noises still happening. Okay, uh, and what worries you about the motoring world? That that won't happen. Okay. Because you've just been at Goodwood, and that had a mix of uh, the the current, the past, and the future, mm. um, and they were all very. I, I think there's 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 distinct lines now being drawn amongst it, or particularly from, or um, well, particularly from the sound point of view. Uh, you you can't help but that that um, Pikes Peak IDR. Mm was amazing to watch astonishing agree i did just how that sticks to considering that was uh, and i'm using again using this in the loosest sense of the word but it was cobbled together over nine months it's not a bespoke everything is brand new to this they have brought elements together mm. and sort of gone oh what have we got out the back of the shed type a little bit more yeah engineered than that but that's what's happened and they oh, it and, should be that's how great things happen yeah and the amazing achievement of that vehicle is just outstanding. Um, but then you go to, there was the Edwardian, or the, or the Beast of Turin. Mm. Watching that on the, the live stream was just hilarious. It was it was fantastic to watch you know, the flames spitting out the side and all that. And there must have been this enormous smell coming off it as after it went past you if you didn't get singed off the exhaust and things like that. No, it's dramatic. It was very dramatic. So uh, you, you you were in the middle of it all there mm. this weekend. <laughs> yeah, but that's the thing. You see, you see that. I mean, it's, you know, you see the, you know, the, the you know, Mercedes uh, cars from sort of, uh, race cars go up from sort of 1927 or 1904. And then you see the Pike Peaks car go up and then you see like this plethora of like the Singers and the Porsches um go up and then you know you see all of that and that's all part of the mix you know there you know we have to go towards the ev cars and i you know i can't wait for a good ev tracking vehicle so it's just a wonderful thing to track from it's smooth and it does the job i've got no no problem that towards a work vehicle, utility vehicle would be great um you know i'm a great fan of electric cars but you know you know again head and heart my head says that's fantastic and great technical exercise but you know, I grew up in the with of you know the sound of V8s and V12s, and that will always have that emotional response to me, as like and I'm same as loads of other people. Um, mm. So long may it sort of continue. Um, and you know, part of the the makeup of, of these car companies. I mean, it's I just think it's it's a visceral experience. Um, but again, I agree that Pipe Pete's car whizzing up there was like <laughs> pretty bloody special. So again, you know, this is all new to me now, new to all of us. So we're getting sort of what, how do we how do we emotionally feel about this? Um, it's yeah. what you know will develop over time. So you know, it's taken, you know, it's taken the internal combustion engine has been you know part of the makeup since the turn of the last century, and we've grown up with it, and we've got this res- a, a response to it. So you know that would change yeah. as well. This is all very new, and it's exciting. Yeah. You know, it's in clever people. I mean, that's how the Golf GTI was was first developed. Was the same way. You know, some engineers got some bits together and made a Golf GTI. Yeah, you know, yeah. it wasn't sort of like this huge, great sort of. We must make this because you know this is what the people want. No one knew why they wanted a hot hatchback. 
it didn't exist. There's a niche in the market we are to explore. Yeah, no, to do this. But it wasn't. That's you know, it became. It, became, it was. Became, I'd like to go fast. It became a thing. It became they they because they you know had a bit of passion, a bit of love in it. I mean, this is the thing. Yeah. It's there's there is still a, so much passion and love for motor vehicles inside the industry and by the engineers and designers because you can't do the job otherwise. You know, but it's easy to forget that because the companies are so large, and the corporate face that comes out um, can dilute the fact that there are really, really passionate people doing jobs. You know, that of stuff that we wouldn't we wouldn't pay attention to, but would be a, a real issue if they weren't paying attention. To well, I just say, I, I, I remember going to one of a few launches. I went to I spoke to a, an Audi lighting designer designed these amazing lights and he was you know he was probably 30 years old or a bit younger than that and he was passionate and he grew up he was a lighting engineer he knew about how lights worked he was like the safety aspect of them and, he, and you know so that guy's passion going into making a fantastically wonderful you know lighting for a car so it actually could see a cyclist come out of a side junction or a moose or something move and giving the driver that input and giving the driver that safety you know that's that's what it's about i mean it's not you know it's not super sexy to it's not like you know designing you know an engine or whatever but those people are in there you know people design seats and all these other bits and pieces they are they're still there and they're still focused and really passionate about their little bit of what makes it what makes this what makes this um, sort of you know the whole and they're there, and they're great. They're great to chat to. I mean, they really are they're really interesting. I find them fascinating because they've got the brains the size of the planet. So you know, and the, and it's full of them. You know, they're not they're not alone. They're full of yeah. them. They're full of these these these, uh, these men and women. They are fantastic engineers. And they, you know, Absolutely. And thank God they're there. You know. Yes. Yes. Indeed. Okay. Uh, what has been your favourite car to drive, and why was that? Um, my favourite car to drive. I don't really drive the cars. Tell the truth. I'm. I know my limitations, but um, you know, I don't actually. I sit in the passenger seat occasionally, but um, this can be your own car as well, you know. You oh, actually, my own car. Of course, it's it's got to be a Mark One Gold GTI. I mean, it's <laughs> simple as that. It's just I can still close my eyes now. I can still smell it, and I can still when I first drove that Mars Red Mark One Gold GTI, I just think life does not get any better than this. It just really doesn't. And I totally adored that car. I mean, it really, it just, it took me places and made me feel like a hero and was just, just the noise. I mean, looking back at them now, they were just so basic, but it's so <laughs> wonderful. And I just, again, it's like, you know, your first love. You, you, it's it's one of those emotional responses that when I look at, I go a bit gooey and get a bit teary and just want to go over and touch it. Really, <laughs> so yeah, it makes me a bit of a problem sometimes in uh, supermarket car parks. And you know, my girl, my kid say to me, "Dad, where are you wandering off to?" And I spot a gold Mark One Golf GTI in the corner, and I have to go over and just just give it a quick rub and just say, you know, how are you? You know, <laughs> yeah, age age has ravaged both of us, but you know, you're looking better than me, type thing. So yeah, that's um, yeah, I think it's got it's got to be that one. Okay, then what has been your least favourite car to drive and why was that? Uh, I hate to say it, but because um, I had two of them and one, so it's not, it's not the, it's not, it's, it was, I had a, a Subaru Outback with a 2.5 Gen 2 engine. I had two of them, I had a three litre, which was great, and the 2.5 
nearly bankrupted me. Um, I had it was had got it was just I just well it didn't help that I <laughs> on a on an icy airfield I did a massive power slide in second and blew sort of blew the engine a bit it got me home but I did that in the other two and they were fine so but that cost me I, I but I think it wasn't the worst I drove it just sort of broke my heart because it's okay. so sort of unreliable and cost me thousands and thousands I tried to make it better and just refused to be better and. So yeah, that was um, that. I think that was more of a heartbreak than a bad car. So I was, I sort of fell, fell out in love with them a bit, and, and that sort of yeah. But I don't, I don't think I've, um, I don't think I've had any sort of really, really bad cars. I've been sort of quite lucky of, of driving stuff I really wanted to drive and own. Um, but again, you know, my land. Yeah, was... your history's hardly um, littered with. Uh dogs in it no I, 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 I haven't i haven't had i've been mean, you know i haven't i can't say oh i had a ter- terrible car i've been sort of quite spoiled and doesn't have any car but within reason of cars that i wanted um but i think the um again i've had a, a history of Lando discovery threes i've had several of them and again they've broken my heart blown up engines and uh just yeah just cost me tens of thousands of pounds over the years but i'm still totally in love with them so it's a difficult one that you know i think it's more of a they're sort of quite sort of uh, expensive relationships which i think are going to get better and never do so i think that's more <laughs> <laughs> so i don't think that's it really um but no, I've, I've been i've been pretty spoiled and you know i even i had a citroen zx turbo diesel for a while as a run around and i i lo- love that car to bits even though i did leave it leave it in an airport once for six months and i'd go and pick it up Oh, Spanish Republic, Madrid Airport. I left it in there for six months in short-term parking. But luckily, my wife speaks Spanish, and so she said that uh, I'd gone mad and forgot my left part of the car, so she got it back again. But yeah, that was, yeah, but even that, I loved it. Oh, excellent. Um, What car would you like to own next? Now, you can either do this with um, reality, or you can do this dream. It's, It's completely up to you. Um, okay, it's, it's it's reality and a dream at the moment. Is I need in my life an LC seventy eight Troopy. I just I just I so need one of these cars with the full Alucard conversion uh, with a hundred eighty litre tank. Um, and I've got it all spec'd out so that way I could actually probably talk for another hour about this car because I've just been so that is yeah I need a full Africa spec, but also. Um, that can take it to the Arctic as well. So that's, that's a good heater. A good heater. I've got it specs out with a really good heater system and also like some sort of uh, foil round when the cab comes up. So I've thought about this. But yeah, that's, I probably would be guessing one in the next few years. But um, yeah, Troopy, a Land Cruiser, but full Africa spec, you know, the, 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 proper, the proper one. So that would be, um, yeah, that would be, that would be me happy for the rest of my natural, if they put it that way. Oh, and also, and of course, you know, of course, a uh, two point seven RS just to go with it, um, just because of because of, and also a nine thirty turbo as well, Porsche. And, okay. Um, yeah, so I can go on and on and on like that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Oh, and a G wagon, of course. I can't forget my my love my love for the G wagon. I think if I could get an Alu cab conversion with G wagon with the long range tanks, maybe the Troopy would be. So I'm uh, just trying to sort of work out the two there at the moment. So. But uh, yeah. Well, the, I, well, I think um, looking at that, one is definitely a works vehicle and the other is a support vehicle. So 
you know, business-wise, it needs to be bought. Oh, no, absolutely. Uh, Thank you. Can just you... just trying to think it through here. Um, I just yeah, so it makes perfect sense. You know, doing doing uh, petrol head man maths. Yeah. Um... <laughs> <laughs> My favourite pastime. <laughs> That's the next hour taken care of. We've chatted about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, what's your favourite road to drive on? Um, favourite road to drive on? Well, for twisties, it's got to be the Trollstegen, because it's in Norway, which I love, and it's just wonderful. Um, but tell the other one is, it's got to be around uh, Bonneville, Utah. It's just any road around there is just so wonderful. And just driving. I think actually driving down the road onto the salt when the sun comes up, it's not a great driver's road, but it's just the history there, and it's just so um it's such a special place I, mm-hmm. I just it's one of those places you just feel all the all the amazing stuff that's gone on there it's just sort of soaked in it really um and that's wonderful um but yeah i mean anywhere in the states um and you know yeah anyone done so many journeys out there they've been they've been absolutely wonderful okay excellent um what is the most pointless optional extra you've experienced? Uh, the, the coat hanger that goes on the back of the seat. I, I can't for life of me. I, I don't. I, I don't. But when you're selling photocopier supplies, you need to keep your polyester suit jacket no, quite don't, neat. No, you don't. You no, no one needs this thing. It just, I don't understand it. I, I, I'm, it. I see it. I saw one in a, in a pickup the other day thinking, what are you going to hang your barb off the back of it? I don't get it. I mean, I just, I, I'm... Well, that's because management consultants now buy pickups as a tax avoidance thing. Well, whoever, whoever invented this thing, I mean, I just, hopefully they've done some other good things in their life because this isn't one of them, <laughs> okay? That is just, I don't get it. I don't want to get it. I don't want to know anything about it. I just looks at me. I just want to just, I just think there must be something we could turn into something useful, but not that. They're awful. They're dreadful. I just, just loathe it. What's the back seat for? It's for hanging my jacket on. Sorry, no count. Okay. Yeah. Glad we haven't touched a nerve. Um... No, 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 no. I, I, I don't obsess about this in traffic all the time. So thank God for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, who do you think I should talk to after speaking to you? Um, what, in the car world? Uh, Vicky Barber, yep. Headless. Who, who haven't you done? Have you done Tom Ford? Have you done. Yes, t- uh, Mr. Ford has been on. Uh, He's okay. been kind enough to be on. Uh, you just need to speak to. Uh, just need to speak to. Why do you speak to some other proper car photographers? Why don't you speak to Mark Riccioni and Richard Pardon and Andy and um, who else? And writer-wise. Get Charlie Turner on, for God's sake. A picture editor of, mm-hmm. uh, editor of Top Gear. Yep. Get Ben Miller on, editor of Car. You know, get these, um, get them on. Uh, Will do. Uh, I shall add them to the list of badgering. Yeah, no, get get them on. But VBH, she's already said that she wants to do it. Get her on. Yes, the uh, the communi- lines of communication are open. Yeah, no, she's we great. Are, we are trying. She's really interesting. She's got a lovely voice. She's wonderful. Um, yeah. And she's really interesting. She really knows about her cars. Um, mm. Who else? Um, God knows. Oh, get, well, get, I, Richie, get Richie Payne on, the, the tech professor at Porsche. He's brilliant. He knows, he, he's a really good guy. Okay. And um, who else? 
I don't know. I'll come up with a list. I can't think of the top of my head. Yeah, but get get some proper calf toggles on. They can talk about. <laughs> what like you said? Oh God! So no, this hasn't finished yet. You're not allowed to do this. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I thought we were just talking amongst us. God, it's like I should start really swearing then. <laughs> okay, this is the the last question now. But what are the best ways for people to follow what you do, or maybe get in touch? Um, especially if they would like to commission you um, and employ you in, and pay you lots of money to do your work. Um, a letter is normally the best way, I think. Letter or, or, Pigeon. Just, Pigeon. or just offerings. I do have a, an altar and um, a place of worship for me, which you can lift, leave sort of gift, off some gifts and offerings to um, in the in the just off the Vale of White Horse. Uh, Wayland Smithy, if you leave a note under a rock there, I'm normally up there every day anyway. Um, I don't know. I, I sort of yeah, via electricity, via social media type things, but I don't know what. So are. should I put your Twitter on? Yeah, put the Twitter on, put the Instagram Twitter, on. I'll put your website, because by the time this goes out, obviously that will be fixed. I've been trying phone. to fix it while I'm on the phone to you, and I just, I just keep pressing buttons, and it just keeps telling me, the computer says no. So, um, sorry, that's why I've been slightly distracted so occasionally, because I'm trying to get my internet my internet to work. Um, no, it's been lovely talking to you. Um, hopefully, um, this is not the worst one you'll ever do. But um, if it is, then I always like to be either at the top or at the very bottom. So that's great. So I've got, I'm, I've got no, I'm not at home to Mr. You prefer to bookend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah mid-table mediocrity is not me. No, thank you so much for talking. No, uh, I could I could chat to you for hours and hours well, we will do. Uh, about this. And uh, hopefully at some point we'll meet up and I'll buy you so, uh, several beers I'd and we can carry to. on chatting. I'd absolutely love to. It's been good. Thanks once again to Justin for coming on Rearview and chatting with me. I hope you found our conversation as fascinating as I did. And if you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearviewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it here in Motoring Podcast Towers. If you would like to get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. If you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions and car reviews, go try out the sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. If you think what we do here on Rearview in the Motoring Podcast is worth some of your money, please do support us in our efforts by going to motoringpodcast.com forward slash support and clicking the Patreon button. I would also really appreciate if you could tell others about the show. I think the guests who come on here have got some great stories to tell, as has just been demonstrated, and I want as many people as possible to hear them. So if you can pass this podcast on to others and grab hold of their phones and force them to subscribe that would be awesome don't don't be too rough though because you know we we don't want to be nasty about it so until next time that was justin layton i've been andrew clues and safe motoring